working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta. Today our guest is Dame Drummer of Oakland, California. He grew up in Cleveland and spent the early part of his career there and moved to Oakland in 2012, where he has been touring with two-time Grammy winner Fantastic Negrito and leading his own original project, Loveolution, as writer, producer, drummer, rapper, and singer. We have exciting news on the Patreon front. We are now offering exclusive educational content provided by some of our former guests, including Peter Erskine and Ben Caesar. This is going to take a few different forms from videos to PDFs, and we'll be adding to it each month. Our first installment just went up. Ben Caesar was kind enough to kick things off by providing us with his guide to more efficient, productive, and fun practice sessions. We always say every donation in any amount is greatly appreciated, and to prove it, we're making this content available to anyone and everyone who donates. That means as little as $1 a month gets you access to this exclusive monthly content. Along those lines, we recently got an email from our buddy and former guest, Kevin Stevens, in Los Angeles, California. I want to share that with you. Uh, Kevin became a patron for us a while back, and here's what he wrote. I think of my Patreon payment to your podcast as a monthly subscription, just like the drumming magazines I grew up with. The long-form podcast interviews continue to give me little nuggets of inspiration and information, even after drumming for over 40 years. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Kevin. We appreciate that. And if you agree with Kevin, and if this new material sounds like it might be worth a little bit of your money, go to patreon.com slash working drummer and become a patron at any level. Again, a dollar a month gets you this exclusive content from our former guests. We'll certainly take more if you think we're worth it. There are some extra incentives at the $5 and $10 levels, but a dollar a month gets you in. If you want to get in touch with us, you can do so at workingdrummer.net or on Facebook and Instagram. Share pics and videos of your gigs on Instagram using the hashtag workingdrummer. We'll be featuring those in our stories. Also, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or YouTube and leave us a rating and review on those platforms. This helps new listeners find us. So right now, let's check in with our buddy Arjuna Contreras as he is gradually moving his home base from Dallas to Nashville with a lot of touring in between. Hello, Matt. Hey, RJ. How are you, man? Hey, I'm doing okay, man. I'm a little sick right now. Oh, no, man. What's going on with that? Yeah, I got like that end of tour crud, I think. You know, we just got back to Dallas yesterday. And like the last couple of days of the tour, I was starting to kind of feel, have like a sore throat and start to feel like congested and stuff like that. Yeah. And I tried to, tried to pound like some vitamin C and zinc to stave it off, but it didn't really work. Now it's pretty much like full-blown case of the itis the, <laughs> <laughs> well but, um, i mean keep in mind you know it's so it's so interesting that uh i i heard about this forever before i ever was on a tour bus that you are essentially a you know a test tube rolling down the, the road <laughs> with recycled air that little window right. sometimes in the back <laughs> You know, or yeah. in the bathroom, if, mm-hmm. if you know, whatever. But most likely, mm-hmm. it's 
it's no surprise, and it's really hard to stay healthy when you're out there in, in that respect. Yeah, yeah. I have a theory that your body can sense when the tour is coming to an end. Like your <laughs> yeah. body's like working like extra hard to yep. like keep its, you know, keep its immune system up and going when you're out. Like, you know, in our case, you know, for the beginning of a month long tour and it's like, you know, you're going, you're it's two weeks in, three weeks in, you're still feeling great. And then you start thinking to yourself, Oh man, we got three shows left and then we're, we're off for a month. That always seems to be where I start to start to feel it, you know, like, and I like, I, I, that's my theory. It's not, I mean, I'm not a doctor. I just play one on television. That's but. right. So time off. Uh, you're in Dallas. Mm-hmm. I'm in Dallas right now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be here for a couple of days probably. Yeah. Um, then back out to, out to Nashville. I, I was mentioning that, um, that gig down lower broad that I'll be doing. That's like next week. Gotcha. And uh, and that recording session uh, looks like it's happening next week as well. Like a couple of days of recording some rockabilly stuff um, out there. Uh, that's next week, so I'll be I'll be out there next week, and then have to come back to Dallas the week after that um, to do a little bit more recording with the Rev on that instrumental project that we're working on, like right. re-recording a bunch of his instrumentals. Going to go to Wisconsin to visit the folks for a few days. And then back down to Nashville to hang out and, um, you know, hopefully do some playing, but for sure I'll be there, um, for that festival that I was ta- telling you about called the Nashville Boogie, right. um, which is, yeah, it's, 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 that's like the 23rd through the 26th. And tell us quickly what that, that is. So, yes. Yeah, so it's a, it's a festival. It's a, like a roots rock, rockabilly, um, you know, Roots Music Festival, similar to the Viva Las Vegas Festival that that my band just we just headlined in Vegas uh, on this last on this last tour, actually on the twentieth. Um, and so it, it takes place. The Nashville Boogie takes place at the Opryland Hotel, like you know, in, in different parts of the Opryland Hotel. And um, it's uh, I think three four days of. Uh, you know, uh, acts from all over the country and a few international acts as well. I'm hoping for two full weeks in Nashville this month. And then we go back, we go back out with, I go back out with the Rev at the beginning of June uh, for a tour of the Northwest and then into Canada for about two and a half weeks. Well, cool, man. I, I get better. Take care of yourself. Rest. Just, you know, do all the things that, you know, your mother's, Told you to do all your life. <laughs> right. Take your own advice and her <laughs> advice. But we'll, we'll catch up again soon. Yeah, sounds good, Matt. I really appreciate it, man. Sure, man. Talk to you soon. Sounds good, brother. See Bye-bye you. now. Bye. So this was a very motivational talk I had with Dame. He has some great ideas about the business side of things, uh, bringing a strong work ethic to everything you do, and being realistic about the current music business as it is, rather than what it used to be or what we sometimes wish it were. So get ready for No Excuses with Dame Drummer. You and I crossed paths at the the, the Sea Blues Jazz, or not the, the Sea Blues Festival in Clearwater. I was playing with Ruby Bell and the Sulfonics. You were playing with the fantastic Negrito, who has uh, yep. been making a lot of noise in the in the blues rock world. Um, tell us uh, tell us a little bit about that gig. Uh, it's a fun gig, fun gig, man. Uh, fantastic Negrito. He's just an awesome artist, man. 
and even more awesome person. Um, I got on that gig from one of his former bases, Uriah Duffy, mm-hmm. who uh, is just made his way around the world with everybody. I mean, he was a he was the basis for White Snake, <laughs> and wow. he's also. Yeah, he's played with uh, Guapale. He's played with CeeLo Green. Uh, he also put me on a, um, on a tour with Liv Warfield. And um, he has his own band called um, Points North. So Uriah Duffy put me on that situation. And uh, we were in Jerusalem on another tour. And uh, that's the first time I had a conversation with Xavier, uh, Fantastic Negrito. And he said, yeah, man, just learn the tunes. I was mm-hmm. like, okay. So I learned the tunes and I didn't hear from him until a year later. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, after that year, I mean, he put me to work, though. Wow. So it took a, it took a year. Full year. What, what happened in that year and why did it take a year? Um, because he, he already had a drummer and he wanted to just make sure that, um, you know, if anything ever happened to any, any one of his band members, that he had somebody to fill in. Right, know? right. And so it was that it was that sort of thing. You know, he asked Uriah if he knew of another reliable person that could fill in on drums, you know, if anything ever happened. Yeah. And that's how, you you know, Uriah put me on to that one. I feel like a lot of artists and band leaders are are taking that approach of of like having a, you know, a backup in place. You know, if if not a sub that plays regularly, just kind of like what's what's their next move going to be if they lose a person? <laughs> yeah. And the truth is, I mean. Unless you're making that kind of money where you can retain a musician, where you can just give them a flat salary for the year right. and not going anywhere, right? Then yeah, yeah, you always have to worry about it, man. Because I mean, full time musicians, man. Hey, if they don't play, they don't eat, you know. So yeah. when the gigs get dry, you know, if you haven't put a put 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 something in the nest for the winter, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> Then uh, you got to do what you have to do. You know that, right? Right. Drummer. So is there is there a backup waiting in the wings behind you now? Uh, I don't think so. And and I'm I'm a backup behind uh, Darian. Darian. So Darian's out actually out on tour with them right now. Oh, okay. I got you. Mm-hmm. What's what's that drummer's name? Darian Gray. Darian Gray. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it? And and actually actually a year ago. Um, I actually had the gigs, but the gig was mine and I gave it to Darian because, uh-huh. um, I was, I was unable to go out with Xavier at that, at the time he asked me to. Mm-hmm. And so Darian's been holding it down for two years now. Cool. And, uh, when you saw me, I was out with him for the month of February. So, um, Darian plays with Booker T, uh, you know, Booker yeah. T. So. That's a cool gig in itself, but um, he couldn't do February, so I was the guy for February. Right, right. So, you know, with this with this kind of climate, with with you know band leaders just having multiple guys on their roster all the time, um, have you have you found it difficult in this gig or any other gig to avoid? Um, you know, being being kind of territorial about that gig or taking too much ownership of that gig. I mean, the, the nature of the beast is, is is so much work out here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I mean, it hurts sometimes because you know it's it, when you know that it's a tour and you know that it's steady income. You know, you may not be able to take it at that time, and if you miss it, you know, you may you may have like a two week commitment, and you miss out on an eight month or a six month tour. Right. 
you know, so in that aspect, you know, sometimes it's just like, oh man, I'm, you know, it just, it just ends up working out that way. But territorial, I mean, we, we both have great attitudes about it. You know, I understand what I had and I understand what I was giving up when I gave it to him. So you just have to just bite the bullet on it, man. And, um, when it, when it comes back around, like it did, you know, just be ready. Right. Right. But, but I have my own, I have my own music out. I have my own album and, um, and I'm focusing on that. So, and I was even encouraged by Fantastic Negrito to really pursue my music, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so I've been, you know, focusing my energy on that, man. So it's all love, you know. We're all family in this game. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk to you about your your original project, but but real quick, um, just talk a little bit about uh, the the drum chair in Fantastic Negrito. Like, what's expected of you in that? Uh, band, uh, you know, musically and and personally on stage from him as a band leader, because okay, it's so a it's a show. Is- like the, for those of you who haven't seen Fantastic Negrito, it's like it's like Prince and Jimi Hendrix and and uh, I don't know I don't know what else wrapped into one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's the John Lee Hooker. You know, yeah. put throw him in there too. Right, that's right. Re- that's really accurate, and um, um. Fantastic Negrito, he's really big on um, knowing the show. Um, he's really big on his tempos. He's very particular about his tempos. So I have all of the tempos, and nobody's listening to a click except me. And so it's my responsibility to make sure that everyone is locked in with me. You mm-hmm. know, um, I don't have, you know, uh, um, a lot of freedom. There's no like drum solos or anything like that with Fantastic Negrito. He's just really about the whole band. Right. Um, and, um, occasionally, I mean, you'll hear the guitar solos in the, right. in the, in the, um, organ solos, but my main job is to drive that bus, man, mm-hmm. you know, get, get people in and off the bus safely and get us <laughs> to our destination. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's a really stripped down sound. Like the instrumentation is is two guitars and and key bass, right? Like keys, key bass, and mm-hmm. and drums. And um, the riffs are just like super raw, super stripped down. Um, and it was great to see you play that gig because it would I think it would be so easy for a drummer to step on that and to overcomplicate sure. what's going sure. on in that band. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, man. Um, I learned how to play drums um, by listening to records because my drum teacher, he was stabbed to death in, in Cleveland, Ohio by his girlfriend. Jesus. I know, I know you didn't see that one coming. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that took a left turn. But, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, so I didn't have formal lessons as a kid. My dad said, okay, well, here, play these. And he gave me uh, Thriller and Purple Rain. Mm. So I I grew up with the discipline of playing songs, mm-hmm. you yeah, know, yeah. playing the tune, and and so the gigs like this is very easy for me because I I I'm disciplined and I enjoy playing my part, mm-hmm. you know, and I enjoy you know just being that solid, um, you know, timekeeper man for the band. Right. That's that's something I've been coming into uh, in the last uh, I don't know five or ten years because my my background like in college and in my twenties was in jazz. Um, so I was, I was always looking for ways to improvise and interact and and all that. And it it took me a while to come around to it, but I know what you're saying about, um, you know, just, just playing a role and just being support is like its own kind of, uh, you know, gratification. It's its own reward. And it's different than 
getting your rocks off improvising. Um, but it's a more kind of workman. Like it feels like a more honest living <laughs> somehow. Hey man, you know, I, I, I like to use basketball analogies. And so fantastic. Negrito is Michael Jordan. I'm, I'm Scotty Pippen. Yep. You know, yep. Michael Jordan is the show, mm-hmm. but, but you know, you know, Scotty's there though. You see him and right. he's doing his part, you know, and he's no less of a ball player, but you know, there could only be one Michael Jordan on the team. Right. You know, so you, you got to give space for the artists. And this is one thing that I try to communicate to a lot of young drummers. And, you know, one of my favorite things is showtime is not your time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it. you know, when when the lights come on, man, play your part. Do 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 what's what's needed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, and if you learn how to make it feel good within, you know, the confines of the song, then great. But just do what you're supposed to do. Play your supporting role and, and allow Michael Jordan to be Michael Jordan. Talk about your uh, your project that you've been doing. Well, Love Evolution. This is my latest uh, love child. It's a four-year um, compilation of just work and features and production and songwriting that I've been doing, you know, for a long time. Um, I started working on the project in right around 2000, end of 2014, beginning of 2015. And I wrapped it up in 2018 and released it January 4th of this year. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So is it, is it a full length like EP? 19 song, double LP. Double. Double. And these are all original yep. songs by you. All original, hundred percent original, hundred uh, percent uh, produced by me. Um, and I wrote most of the songs, except where uh, artists are featured. You know, they wrote their verses. Right, right. For the most, for the most part, I wrote some of the verses for, with my features. But for the most part, yeah, man, it was um, just a, just a great collaboration. It's a huge variety, and it's like you know, it's my my digital. Uh, business card, man. Just showing what I can do as far as songwriting and production. And yeah, I mean, it's more I than a business it. card. It's a portfolio. It's a <laughs> full, there you go. full on uh, collection. Um, so you're you're singing and rapping on this, right? Yes, I am. Okay, so I've I've talked to more than a few singing drummers about about kind of the dual discipline of that, but I think you're you're the first rapping drummer that I've talked to. So I'm I'm curious. Like when did that start, and uh, how how do those two disciplines kind of converge? It started um, when I tried to I tried to play with a band, and I couldn't focus because the drummer just was not locking in like I would, mm-hmm. and and I couldn't even perform. You know what I'm saying? I could barely perform because my head was in two different places. Right. So I just said, I'm just going to play drums. I'm just going to do it, you know? And that's where it came from, man. You know, uh, out of necessity brings the greatest innovation, right? Right, so, right. So had, like, had, you, had you not played drums before that, or was, was drums just kind of on the, on the side and rap was your main thing? No, no, no. Drums has always been, I guess it's been, you know, it's been all together, man. I've been singing and drumming since I was a child, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So I've never not sang and, right. and played drums, you know? Right. But I think, I think that I, I tried to step away from the drums and, and, and be, just be an artist. Mm-hmm. 
But then I realized that I, I'm, not, I'm not comfortable up there, really, with just, you know, standing up there. Because I, I feel like I just got to do something, and I don't know what to do. You right, know what I mean? right, right. You know, so you know, so I said, you know, I'm very comfortable at the drums. I've been singing and playing since I was a, a, a child, four or five years old. And um, so when I'm up there, I just feel like I'm that same kid in his grandparents' basement, man. You know, shedding and singing songs and working it out. I feel like I'm that same kid. And now I just get to do it. It's more refined and more disciplined. And, and you know, I've been honing it a lot more. So yeah. that's where I'm at with it. Yeah. So I'm I'm sure you've got your list of, of rap hip-hop influences and your list of drumming influences. Um, are there any are there any individuals uh, who have influenced you in both disciplines? Sure, man. I mean, I grew up, I had a really uh, nice vocabulary of music, you know, coming up under my parents. They listen to everything, man. So um, I really liked, uh, um, you know, Buddy Miles. I liked Phil Collins, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Phil Collins was really doing it for me, man. When I was a kid, man, really? to see him, <laughs> oh man, I, I really liked it, man, because uh, just he was the first person that I really seen on video um, who was singing and drumming, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh man, I was like, I do that, that's pretty cool, you know. And he was doing it in front of uh, a wave of people, man. I'm right. like, wow, you can do that, you know. <laughs> so, um, new schoolers, uh, I really like, uh, I really like. Um, uh, day they had um and uh who uh, who else uh anderson pack i mean these guys are yeah. these guys are front men you know mm-hmm. what i mean i'm not these hip to day day did you say day day hayden day day hadden hadden who is yeah. that i'm not hip to that yeah dietrich dietrich hadden's uh i believe is his cousin or but you know jerry's mose the the guitar the guitar player no i i, I will send you a link man All these right. guys have a trio they have a trio and they are just ripping. I mean, all of them play are playing with artists, you know, and playing arenas on their own, you know, in their own. But when they come together, they have a trio, man. And he sings and they all sing, man. It's just it's just an amazing sight, man, to just see a person on drums leading the whole front, you know. Yeah. And I think it's just the wave, man, that that's going on. Even even Sput, you know, mm-hmm. see right with with um, Ghost Note. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a, he's a drumming band leader, man, and and, and what he does, I, I just really think that that's the new wave. I think that that's where drumming is going, man. You're going to see a lot more band leaders yeah. from the drum throw. Yeah, I think so too, um, and and mm-hmm. vocalists especially, like more and more drummers are singing, even if it's only like background vocals, you know. Um, I see more and more drummers singing, and I think we're going to see more and more drummers rapping. I think. Sure. I think sure. guys. I think guys like you and Anderson Pack and and others are going to inspire young drummers to start rapping, and they're going to inspire young rappers to start drumming. I hear you on that, and that's one of the things that I always extend to young drummers. I say, man, if you can explore other things. Be more than a drummer, because when you're just a drummer, man, you kind of you're waiting for that next call. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You have to you have to be able to to, to have some kind of independency. So either you're going to start singing, doing some background vocals, which will increase your value as a drummer. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And um, or production, you know, as a drummer, you, you have the best seat in the house. You have a chance to observe the situation on a daily basis. You have a chance to listen. You know, you have the responsibility of listening. So 
take that information and just try get you a DAW, you know, and, and just try to open it up and just try to make some, you know, some beats. Start off with beats, you know, hang around some piano players, you know, and just, you know, open up your mind because the, the piano, the bass, I mean, I'm sorry, the drummers that I know who are band leaders, man, they know so much that a lot of them play multi instruments, you know, mm-hmm. um, I was at uh, the Ghost Note concert the other night, and I saw Spud giving his piano pair uh, the chords. Yeah, I was like, "Oh wow, I didn't even know he played, man." So you know, yeah, just being open to to the craft, man. You're you're not the first person that's made that observation about drummers making good producers and and drummers being like literally in the ideal chair for production because just mm-hmm. by you know by dint of the role we play in the music and like where we physically sit on stage most of the time like we we see and hear it all it's just that's right you know we we see the whole picture of everything we do hopefully <laughs> um but we're we're more prone to kind of take in the whole picture from 30,000 feet than uh you know say a guitarist or a, a horn player or something i think Exactly. And, and and we have that responsibility because we know if we miss a beat. Everyone knows that, hey, man, what's up with the drummer? Right. <laughs> you know, yep. a keyboard player can 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 bounce back from wrong keys at any time, you know, mm-hmm. but we we got to be locked in. Yeah. Uh, yep. I played a um, I played at an open mic in Cleveland for four years, man. And I believe that that's really where I got a chance to. Um, identify who I wanted to be as an artist, man, because night in night out, I, I played behind poets, uh, artists, rappers, you know, MCs and singers. It was just amazing, man. I just saw all this talent coming in on a night, on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. And I said, wow, every night that I was there, I said, okay, I'm going to add this to my repertoire. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take a little bit of this. And, you know, it's just, again, pointing to your point of the, just the observation, man, is that when you can observe, you, you, you're learning, man. And, and I think that it's wise to take that stuff and use it, put it, add it to your repertoire. Yeah, yeah. Arsenal. And that's um, a number of drummers have mentioned like that kind of gig early in their career, whether it was like, you know, being in a house band for a jam session or playing a steady gig in a jazz trio at a steakhouse or something, you know, some period in their life when they they were in the same room multiple nights a week for years and just like the sheer volume of music they played and artists they played with um like that was their ten thousand hours about figuring out like what kind of musician they wanted to be absolutely so absolutely go ahead ahead. i was just saying and i and i would do it again because i know that creativity man when you have that much creativity in a room I mean, it's going to feel it's going to fill you up, man. It's going to fuel you. It's going to give you a different outlook on life on just about your artistry and musicianship. And um, I feel like that never gets old until you're ready to go show the world what what you've been, you know, what you've been growing until you're ready to deliver that harvest, man. When was it that you left Cleveland? I left Cleveland in 2002, and I moved to the Bay Area. Okay. And to Oakland. You were how old at that point? Oh, at that point, let's see, I was 34. Okay. 34. So, I mean, you were born and raised in Cleveland. Born and raised. And, And lived a good chunk of your adult and professional life in Cleveland. 
Um, yep. So you know, Cleveland, <laughs> Cleveland is a, a a much maligned city in in pop culture and and the butt of many jokes. Um, but for starters, I want to hear about what you love about Cleveland. What are the what are the good things about your hometown? I love that. I love that about Cleveland. I love that we're the butt of the joke. I love that we, you know, that that everyone thinks that Cleveland's funny because. <laughs> it makes us work hard to show people that we're, we're not funny. You know I mean? We actually have a lot of history and, and, and Ohio in general, man, you know, is where the funk was born. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, and so I feel like that's a really hard place to make it because nationally it is the butt of the, the, the jokes of the, I mean, you can catch Cleveland being joked about on commercials, television shows, movies, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, but we but us being there and actually living there is actually a great place, man. And it's a it's a place that's beautiful. It has seasons uh, in the wintertime. You know, we, we don't have anything to do except work on our craft, man. It's cold. It's, it's two, three feet of snow outside. Yeah. So we're working hard and we're shedding, getting better at our craft. And um, I feel like the work ethic that I that was birthed in me in Cleveland, Ohio, I can take anywhere and make it. That's mm-hmm. how I feel like. I excelled once I moved to Oakland because Oakland, let's just face it, Oakland is sunny. The sun is shining. <laughs> yep. And people are indulging in plants every day. You know uh-huh. what I'm saying? Yep. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay. It, it seems like I, I, I moved to a place that was kind of like moving in slow motion a little bit. I was just this guy, eager guy. So I just stepped on the scene, man. And, and, and respectfully, too. Respectfully. I didn't just come like, Hey, I'm from Cleveland. I'm finna take over. No, I got in and I did it the right way, man. I proved myself. I did took every gig, you know, gigs that weren't paying, uh, open mics, anything that I could do, and mm-hmm. I just started showing up and doing it. And so, word spread, man, like wildfire. I moved here in August, uh, the end of August, beginning of September. I was on the stage at Coachella in April. Wow, with who? Dame Funk. Huh. Cool. Dame Funk. Yep. Um, so, uh, before we get on to Oakland, what, um, you, you mentioned briefly, like kind of the funk history in, in Cleveland and, and in Ohio, um, talk a little bit more about, about music history there and, and the, the types of music and the musicians that, that Cleveland, uh, can claim as its own. I mean, we, we got, man, we claim the Ohio players. We got the Ohio players, man. We got the Daz band, uh, the Barkays. I mean, Bootsy Collins, man, yeah. is from right down the road in Cincy. Yep. And his brother Catfish. I mean, we got Roger Troutman, man. Come on, that's the whole sound. That's the whole West Coast LA sound right there. Yeah. You know, from from Roger and um, I mean, the Barkays was Otis Redding's backing band. I mean, she's the list goes on and on. The OJ's and and from that, his sons, the, you know, Levert. We also. I'm just going to throw Halle Berry in there, man. She, <laughs> she's not a musician, but I just got to throw her in there, man. Cause why cause not? <laughs> yeah. Why not? You know? Yeah. But, um, and then we just have a, a lot of, um, people, um, you know, um, that may not be on a, on a global level, but we have people that are definitely working and very successful, um, independent careers out of Cleveland. Um, some of my friends, you know, uh, Kanye Doss, she has like seven albums out and she's just in Europe all the time. You know, you may not ever hear of her. You mm-hmm. may not know her, but she's she's working. These people are, are out here making it, man. And 
I've always been inspired by the people in my city and the groups that come from my city and the sound that comes from my city. Yeah. So there, there is a, a, like a vibrant, sustainable local music scene from which uh, musicians like they can use they can use the Cleveland scene as their home base. Um, and and, you know, like you said, go out to Europe and come back to Cleveland, have work there. Um, is it is it that way? It is that way for some. Uh-huh. It is that way for some. Um, I mean, obviously, every city, um, you know, like Cleveland, who's always in the shadows, you know, there's always going to be um, a lack of support, you know, for lack of better words. There's going to be a lack of support for those people sometimes in their hometown. Mm-hmm. You know, this is why people leave, because, you know, they know that they have something that they they possess something, but it's just not working where they are, mm-hmm. you know. And then, and then so they leave and, and put themselves in better opportunity. I, I tried to give everything in my artistry back to my city once I figured out who I wanted to be, you know. And um, this was Target. And I met up with some cats in the Bay, was like, hey, man, bring that here. We love what you're doing, you know what I'm saying? And, mm-hmm. and they were right, man. I, I, I came to the Bay, and that's what happened, man. It was a lot of love, and... I was able to thrive. So I was going to ask you what brought you there. It was it was some people you knew that already lived there who encouraged you to to bring it. Yes, Dame Funk earlier, right? Um, um, his former drummer uh, J One was from Cleveland. J One passed away, and J One was a heavy hitter. I remember when he passed away, man. I mean, people like were like uh, like Questlove and Erica Badu. You know, were shouting him out, and I'm like, oh wow, man, it's, it was serious. So. The, a lot of people from Los Angeles in the Bay Area came to memorialize him in Cleveland. And a friend, a mutual friend of ours said, hey, man, I only know one person that can hold the drums down for his tribute. Will you do it? And I did it. Mm-hmm. And that's where I met Tico, um, Billy Bones, Max Kane, I Said, and Dame Funk. And who else? Um, Computer J. So I met a bunch of cats from... California. Mm-hmm. And um it was Billy Bones, Max Kane, and Tico said, Man, dude, you're killing. You would do so well in the Bay. You ever thought about coming to the Bay? I said, Not really. So the first time uh I flew myself out there just to visit, I did a gig with them, and it was awesome, man. It went off real well. And the second time they had another gig and they flew me out and they brought me out. And after that I said, hmm. And I went back to my wife. I said, What's up? What about Oakland? And she said, let's do it. And that, the rest is, is history in the making. Wow. Wow. So you're married at this point. Did you have kids at this point? Yeah, we had one and one on the way. So, wow. <laughs> at the time you're moving. Man, you, let's listen. Here's a, here's a chain of events. We, we were going to move to uh, um, Phoenix in 2012. But no disrespect to Phoenix, there was nothing that interested me about Phoenix or the music scene there. Mm-hmm. No disrespect. Right. And um, I said, this, that's not going to be the place, you know. And so we came and visited Oakland. And so, um, like, earlier that spring. So right around September, I said, you know, uh, uh, I'm sorry, August. I started looking around. I said, let me just look around just so I could see what the music climate was like. And so I looked on Craigslist. I found this band called Levice. And they said, we're looking for a drummer. We'll pay them $75 a gig. Now, you and I know $75 a gig is not a squat. I don't care where you live. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. 
unless you live in like a third world country, then $75 is a big deal. But I found this band. I, I checked them out. I liked their music. I called them. They said, yeah, yeah, you know, well, you could come out and audition. I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, right. I'm, I'm getting ready to move out there. It's, I'm going to get the gig, you know? Mm-hmm. And I came out there and it was like, oh, wow, he knows our songs. Yeah, cool. You got the job. And that's pretty much what started, man. That was from the the first week in August. And by the end of August, we had, my wife had packed up the whole house and we were in California. Wow. By the end. Yep. Wow. Just just off of Craigslist ad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And on, you know, 75 bucks a gig. <laughs> yep. Yep. Which, like you said, is not a whole lot, but but if I mean this, you know, this is something else we've talked about a lot on the podcast about like, uh, you know, what <laughs> what what should gigs pay, um, and you know how little is is too little, um, and should uh, should musicians, especially young musicians or musicians who are trying to break into a scene, um, you know, are they are they hurting the more established musicians who want to get paid more by taking the low dollar gigs? Um, did you uh, did you think about that at all? Did that factor into your decision? Did it? Um, how do you how do you think about that now? Well, the nature of, of of our industry, man, is you know everybody's trying to make it. There's a ladder, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? There's, I agree. There's a ladder, just like just like in any other uh, society or any other you know career uh, career situation. There's a ladder, man. Everybody's trying to climb it, so. I, I can't be mad at these guys who are taking these $50 gigs because, hey, if you agree to a $50 gig, then y- y- you can't complain about your $50. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And if you have a number that you know that you're valued at and you value yourself at this number, then don't take anything until you get that number. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh, don't come out your house, you know, but don't complain. Yeah. Um, and I see guys like, oh, man, the gig only pays a hundred bucks. You didn't have to take the gig, man. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. So we, we just got to do a better job of, you know, if we're going to if we're going to complain about the money, then we need to get with these younger guys and we need to get with the guys who are established and say, hey, you know, nobody's playing unless this is our number. Right. You right. know, well, I think and the that other- takes the the other thing people don't take into account is like who's who's paying for the music who's paying for the musicians like there are there are different types of musical patrons at sure. all levels whether it's a club or a corporation or a private event or a couple paying for their wedding you know sure and and different patrons are going to be able to afford different levels and to expect uh you know to expect the dive bar as a patron to be able to put up the same money as uh, the corporation um, is just completely unrealistic. And I think older musicians like somehow expect that if, if pressure is put on the dive bar, they'll suddenly come up with more money, which they won't. <laughs> no, they're not going to come up with more money. And um, the thing is, you just got to know and choose and pick your battles, man. You know, you're not going to make money at the dive bar. So knowing that, why don't you, bring your merch. Why don't you get your email list together? You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So you can just get those 50 people at the dive bar on your team. You know, yeah. you gotta, you can't just look at everything as, um, you know, dollars and cents. You have to look at it as, uh, things as leverage, mm-hmm. you know, 
how can I leverage this dive bar situation? Right. I know I'm not going to make, you know, any money in here, but Hey, uh, when I go in here, I'm, I am going to announce on the microphone that I just dropped a new CD, you know, or whatever right. it is that you have, you know? So, right. you know, we just gotta, we gotta look at it, man, you know, in, in, in different lenses, because I know cats that go on tour and play arenas and then they come home and play the dive bar for 50 bucks just to have fun. Yeah. Every city, you know? there's guys like that. Every city there's guys oh, like yeah. that. Um, yeah. And I think like you, you, you got to look at the dive bar gig. Like you, you have to look at every gig as, as not just in and of itself, but on a continuum of, you know, like, and, and different types of gigs will serve different purposes for your professional development or your, your bank account. Um, but if you view them all just kind of on this, on this arc where like each type of gig has a place and each type of gig has a uh, potential to help your arc. Um, I think that's a better way to look at it. Exactly. It's all about positioning and um, positioning doesn't necessarily mean being an opportunist. The position just means, you know, what makes sense for you. Like I just did a $50 gig uh, last week, but I only did that $50 gig because my children were uh, on spring break. They were out of town. I didn't have any other responsibilities, you know, so it, normally I'm not going to leave my children. Mm hmm for a $50 gig. I'd rather spend time with them baking cookies and watching movies. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. I'd rather do that. So, um, at that time it just made sense. You know, I didn't complain. I knew I was going, what I was going to get. I went and got my 50 bucks. I played some music, have fun and went home. Yeah. You know? So, um, I just think that, you know, we just, and it's just, it's my own ideals, man. I just think that we just need to take it a little bit more, um, Seriously, I have gratitude for for even the opportunity, man, of getting in front of some people. And yeah. it's up to you to figure out what you're going to do with the people that you're getting in front of, because those mm -hmm. are your customers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The people that are going to take care of you. You know, Prince, I guarantee Prince plays of dives. Prince did what? <laughs> he played he play a, a slew of dive bars. Right. You know? Right. That's how, that's how if he didn't do those he wouldn't have, you know, got to where he was going. So look at everything as an opportunity, you know, for you to get to where you want to go. This episode is brought to you by DrumSellers.com, the niche marketplace where drummers, drum retailers, and drum manufacturers buy and sell their gear. List your drums for sale for free, and the only fee is 4% if it sells. Simple. Check out all the new used vintage and custom drum eye candy at drumsellers.com. Talk a little bit about the, the musical legacy of, of Oakland and, and how that's worked its way into your, uh, into your DNA. Man, I mean, respect. See, see, the one thing that I do appreciate about Oakland is that they are deeply rooted in music and deeply uh, uh, rooted in funk and appreciation of just music of, of all, um, you know, ethnic groups and just, music from all over the world, man, they really have a deep appreciation for it. And so when I got out here, you know, and say, yeah, I'm from Ohio, you know, immediately people start saying, oh yeah, man, that's where the funk is from. So we already had a deep appreciation. Oakland had Tower Power, I mean, um, Grand Station, Function, uh, the Tony, 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 and, and man, I mean, I could just go on and on. I mean, hip hop, I mean, Too Short, MC Hammer, I mean, and they have their own culture as well. They have the hyphy movement with uh, Mad Dre and 
Mr. Fab, the Jacker, they have Souls of Mischief. I mean, there's just so much music that come out of here and so many hits that come out of this place. It's unreal, man. man I'm, I'm smiling because I have I have not heard of most of the artists that you just rattled off, but it, it, it makes me smile because every like every city, every region just has this well of of musical tradition and artists that came from there, some of whom are still there. Um, and if you just like, if you scratch the surface of a region, it's like, oh, holy shit, there's a whole culture and history that, that doesn't make it to the top 40, um, but that the people who live and work there are like versed in. Man, you know, one, one thing that I, that I did was I did research Oakland before I moved here and it's just California in general. And it was a numbers game to me. I like numbers. And I said, man, just for that very reason, you said, like a lot of those people that I mentioned, they go up and down California, up and down, up and down, and they do well for themselves. There's 37 million people in the state of California. Mm-hmm. And you're telling me that you can't put something together to take advantage of that? It's 37 million people. Yeah. There's room, and, and, and there's room for everybody because you just got to figure out how to get in there, man, get in where you fit. Right, right. Um, what's been your? I, I always saw it as. A, Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say. I was just going to say. I, I just always see, you know, everything is just, is just positioning yourself to see, you know, how much lemonade can you make out of the lemons, man. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I feel like once once that clicks for a lot of up and coming artists and even people who've been doing it for a long time, once that clicks, then you're going to start to see your opportunities differently. Mm-hmm. And and what you can make an opportunity out of. So yeah, it's California, man. Yeah, it's like a, it's a country unto itself. I lived in L.A. for five years, um, and uh, like just just living there really made me feel like I I didn't quite live in the United States anymore. Like I was <laughs> I was a citizen of the nation of California. <laughs> it's something else, man. The Republic of California is yeah. something else. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Have you what's what's been your experience um, as far as uh, you know just kind of the recent gentrification trend in the Bay Area um, and uh, you know cost of living, property values, and what that's done to the art scene? Well, I saw it dry, kind of like I saw the local scene kind of like dry up right around. I moved here in 2012, and that was the beginning of it. I saw the local scene dry up. I saw venues that had been there for years and had been known for, you know, breaking local artists and just being a hub for local artists. I seen them close because of the the new people who were moving into the city were complaining about noise. Yeah. You know, because they've been crunching all numbers, crunching numbers all night and programming and they just can't take the noise. I've seen it. Mm-hmm. I've seen them driving right out. I've seen um, artists can, you know, get priced out and move to places that are really far off and then they're less motivated to come and, you know, and be in the scene. Yeah. It's just been, it's just been really hard, man. Uh, um, there's a lot, a lot more people being displaced every day and just, it's just a struggle to, um, it's a struggle to just continue to just maintain, man, just a living, not, not a lifestyle, just a living. Right. Right. You know? So in recent months I've, I've talked to, uh, Tariq Abu Zaid, who's a Seattle drummer 
and mm-hmm. uh, Damian Erskine, who is a Portland bassist, Peter Erskine's nephew. Okay. Um, oh wow. Okay. And I asked I asked them the same thing, and they they had you know very similar things to say about those cities and those scenes, as you just said. Um, so I mean, I guess wh- how do you how do you make lemonade out of those lemons? Like when there are huge economic forces kind of affecting the art scene. Um, how how have you as an individual and and Oakland as a community uh, responded to that to, to keep arts and music vibrant? I'm going to give a big shout out to Oakland, man. Um, the Bay Area is still there's still um, the people who are from the Bay Area they still understand it they still get it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give kudos to the Bay Area because um, we're working here, man. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We we we're working. The artists are working, so I, I will give kudos to to the Bay Area for that. I think it's just nowadays. Um, and, and again, we have technology, so use it. Find your audience. We have creative ways to target to find exactly who's into what you're doing. You may have to spend a little bit of money to do that. You know, fifty bucks here, five bucks here. You know, run a couple of ads, but the technology is here to where you can actually find people who want to hear you. Right. Um, um, unfortunately, a lot of culture that's moving here, you know, it's a, it's a young culture. It's a, um, you know, they're more so into DJs than, than live bands, you know, but, yeah. um, you just have to bob and weave around them, man. And, and even if you can, you know, catch them, um, I say just continue to get creative, man. Um, grab your instrument. Fantastic and the Greedo is a perfect example of uh, building your audience, finding them. He took his guitar and he'd go play at the BART station. He did that. Uh, he was doing that a year before he won his Grammy, man, just with his guitar outside, just playing. And he said, the people are my record label. Hmm. And he is 100% correct on that. And he really did that, man. He went to the people he took yeah. his art to the people i like that you know yeah, yeah. You, you know a lot of it a lot of it's not waiting for somebody to call you man it may have, it's just not like that anymore man you gotta just go with the times get yeah. creative yeah i think that that's a that's a, a theme that, that a lot of players have have touched on like you you've got to take your art your skills like whatever it is you have to offer you have to like go put it in people's faces a lot of the time um and for those of us who are kind of introverted, that's scary. Um, you know, we'd rather just sit home and, <laughs> and wait for the phone to ring. Um, yeah. But uh, but Tariq, and this uh, is not for the faint at heart. Yeah, I, less so less so now more than ever. I feel like you know we, we. I think now more than ever we have to be entrepreneurial. We have to be extroverted. We have to be uh, proactive, uh, if not aggressive. Um, about especially for for guys like you who are who are doing original projects who have like original art to put out there, um, uh, so you know I you know I'm I'm primarily a side man I'm you know I'm the guy that people call uh, not the guy that calls the people uh, so anytime I, I talk to a guy like you or Tariq uh, my my hats off to you for doing original stuff man um, and Tariq mentioned. Uh, like he started doing the Patreon thing a few years ago because like you said, you, you, you were like, there's 37 million people in California. And, and Tariq said, you know, there's, there's 7 billion people in the world. And if I can't get a hundred of them 
to like what I'm doing and give me a little bit of money for it, then I, I should quit. <laughs> I, w- I would advise that. I would advise that to people. You know, if you can't get, I say it all the time. I, I use that exact um, statement, man. There's 7 billion people in the world. You don't need 7 billion people to like you. and You shouldn't be all in your feelings because you're not playing, uh, you know, Wembley Stadium where you're not playing, you know, you're not playing this arena. Hey, man, everybody can't do that. But mm-hmm. what you can do is you can figure out how to get 100, 500, 2,000. If you can spend five years building an audience of 3,000 people, are you telling me that you can't? And I mean, these are 3,000 people who really are into what you're doing. If you're telling me you can't get them one product that's that costs, you know, 10 bucks, that's 30 grand. Are you telling me you can't de- design a T-shirt, you know, that's 20 bucks. And now that's 60 grand. Now you just gross 90 grand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you haven't even and you haven't even played a note for him in person. Right. Now, just imagine what you can do once you start doing that. Come mm-hmm. on, man. This is it's. It's if you want to make a living doing it, it's it's possible. We just have to get creative and we have to just stop thinking that uh, being good on our instrument uh, deserves us to be making this amount of money or whatever it is that you you have going on in your mind. Yeah. And you got me thinking, like when it when it comes to making a living in music, I think, you know, people are saying how it's harder now than it's ever been because of digitalization and all that shit. I think it's uh, I think and I want to believe that it's just as possible to do it as it ever was. It's just less obvious how. I think in years past, yeah. the the you know the paths that were available to you were much more obvious, um, and and it was uh, stuff that was kind of you know given to you or bestowed upon you. And I think now it's less obvious. It's something you're going to have to come up with by yourself, but it's still just as possible. It's more more than ever, more than ever. Because here's the thing, you know. Years ago, you had to have a, a huge record. You know, you had to have uh, advertising. You had to have all this stuff. And if you didn't have that machine, then, oh, well, you're just that group that competes in the talent show every year. But now, <laughs> <laughs> but, but now you really can find the people where the record label says you suck, but you can find those 100 people that says, well, I like them. Right. <laughs> you know? And that's the beauty of technology. Now, the challenge is it's changing every day. Yeah. You know, doors are opening and closing every day with technology. So you just got to stay on the move. And one thing that I've learned that I want to let everyone who's listening know, if you can build a team, whether it's just you and another person or you and two people who really believe in what you're doing and have some extra time to donate to you, man, you can do this. You know, build a team. If you got friends that are really great at um, advertising and social media, get with them and just say, hey, can I get you to do something for me an hour or two out of the week that, that's going to help me since you're already on my team, you already like what I do. Can you do this to help me? Man, if you can start building a team, you're going to get to where you're trying to go faster. I like that. I like that, man. Because we, we take this mentality that it's like we're all self-employed. You know, it's me against the mm-hmm. world. I got to go out and... And, and, you know, we, we form teams in the sense of forming a band. Um, That's right. But, but uh, I like that idea of just, like, forming a, a team of, of people in different disciplines, people in different worlds, people with different skills, 
and and you can help lift each other up. Right, man. Um, and what, what you said is it's, just, it's harder to access, you know, the information on, on the how. So with that, you, you're absolutely right. And that's our responsibility as the artist to figure out that how. You know, there's yeah. plenty of information out there. There are plenty of books out there. You know, everything you need to know about the music business is still a powerful book. It's an old book, but it's still a powerful book. You can you can read that. You can go on YouTube. There are countless uh presentations uh, and free information on, on how you can do it. Mm-hmm. It just takes a lot more work. You have to understand that, you know, because you're not on the label, you have to function as a label. You have to do what the labels did. So you have to take care of your own advertising. You have to take care of your own booking. You have to take, you have to manage yourself and really do it. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be disciplined and people aren't willing to do those things. So those people don't move. Right. Right. Cool, man. I think it's about time to get you out of here. Um, but thank you. Really appreciate uh, you taking the taking the time to talk with us. It was great to see you again, and uh, and uh, had a great time talking with you, man. Man, it was my pleasure, Zach. Uh, thank you for providing this platform for us to speak, man, and educate and, and uplift each other in this game, man. We all we all want to win, so thank you for just having this platform, man. Thanks again to Dame Drummer. Hope you dug that. Once again, follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Give us a like and a follow on YouTube. Give us a rating and review on iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher. And of course, keep in touch with us. It's always good to hear from y'all out there. Come on back next week for Matt Krause's interview. And as always, thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.